Welcome to the Nelson Public Library Show. Check this out on Kootenai Co-op Radio, CJLY at 93.5 FM in Nelson. I'm Anne DeGrace, Adult Services Coordinator at the Library. Teching the show is my colleague Heather Joy Dahlgren, and the song you just heard was our flagship tune, Check Him Out, by Nelson musician Rose Nielsen. Now, Freedom to Read Week happens every year at the end of February, but if history is any indication, the issue never goes away. Freedom to Read Week is a project of the Canadian Book and Periodical Council, and that's an organization that believes in freedom of expression, and it aims to make readers aware of the freedoms that we have and the need to protect them through this week of information and sharing. And so I wanted to begin by sharing a few historical bannings and burnings that might make you raise your eyebrows. Challenges to freedom to read can be traced back as far as 259 BC, and that's when Chinese Emperor uh, Shi Huangti buried alive 460 Confucian scholars to control the writing of history. He burned all the books in the kingdom, and in doing this, he thought history might begin with him. In 640 AD, the Caliph Omar burned all 200,000 volumes in the library at Alexandria in Egypt saying, if these writings of the Greeks agree with the book of God, they're useless and need not be preserved, and if they disagree, they're pernicious and ought to be destroyed. In 1597, Shakespeare's Richard Richard II, Richard II, contained a scene in which the king was deposed from his throne, and Queen Elizabeth I was not happy. She was not amused. She ordered that burned and removed from the play. Jump forward to 1859, and Charles Darwin's The Origin of Species was banned from Trinity College in Cambridge, England, where he went to school. Other classics that have been banned from schools and libraries include Huckleberry Finn, works by Ernest Hemingway, D.H. Lawrence, Maya Angelou, and kids' books come under fire frequently. Uh, Mickey Mouse did not uh, pass muster with the Chinese government, who didn't think that animals should talk. Uh, Alice in Wonderland uh, has come under the gun. There have been so many Oh, and perhaps the most outrageous for me anyway was um, when the London County City Council banned the use of Beatrix Potter's children's classics um, because the stories only portrayed middle-class rabbits. I know. So I have with me today um, a guest. Um, I have uh, I have Jean Byers with me, and uh, it's because last year for our Freedom to Read event, she came and read from a book that was really important to her family, and I've invited her here today to tell us about that book and why it's important. Welcome, Jane. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So to start with, um, could you read a little bit from Entangle Makes Three? I'd be happy to. Every year at the same time, the girl penguins start noticing the boy penguins, and the boy penguins start noticing the girls. When the right girl and the right boy find each other, they become a couple. Two penguins in the penguin house were a little bit different. One was named Roy, and the other was named Silo. Roy and Silo were both boys, but they did everything together. They bowed to each other and walked together. They sang to each other and swam together. Wherever Roy went, Silo went too. They didn't spend much time with the girl penguins, and the girl penguins didn't spend much time with them. Instead, Roy and Silo wound their necks around each other. Their keeper, Mr. Gramsay, noticed the two penguins and thought to himself, they must be in love. Roy and Silo watched how the other penguins made a home. So they built a nest of stones for themselves, 
Every night, Roy and Silo slept there together, just like the other penguin couples. And every morning, Roy and Silo woke up together. But one day, Roy and Silo saw that the other couples could do something they could not. The mama penguin would lay an egg. She and the papa penguin would, keep, would take turns keeping the egg warm until finally it would hatch and there would be a baby penguin. Roy and Silo had no egg to sit on. They had no baby chick to feed. Their nest was nice, but it was a little empty. One day, Roy found something that looked like what the other penguins were hatching, and he brought it to their nest. It was only a rock, but Silo carefully sat on it and sat, but nothing happened. Then Mr. Gramsci got an idea. He found an egg that needed to be cared for, and he brought it to Roy and Silo's nest. They sat in the morning, and they sat at night. They sat through lunchtime and swim time and supper. They sat at the beginning of the month. They sat at the end of the month. They sat all the days in between. Suddenly a tiny hole appeared in the egg shell, and then... Crack! Out came their very own baby. She had fuzzy white feathers and a funny black beak. Now Roy and Silo were fathers. We're, we'll call her Tango, Mr. Gramsci decided, because it takes two to make a tango. Roy and Silo taught Tango how to sing for them when she was hungry. They fed her food from their beaks. They snuggled her in the nest at night. Tango was the very first penguin in the zoo to have two daddies. Stop there. Okay. Um, so when Tango Makes Three is a 2005 children's book written by Peter Parnell and Justin Richardson, and it's based on a true story, isn't it? It is. What do you know about it? I know that it happened at the Central Park Zoo mm-hmm. in uh, New York City, and uh, I know that because it was based on a true story, it, it scared certain people who didn't want that message getting out to their kids even more than if it was fictional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read, I read that um, some people felt that it was promoting a lifestyle choice, um, and others felt that excuse me, homosexuality did not exist in animals and therefore was untrue. There's been a lot of reasons for this book to be challenged uh, and removed from certain libraries. Mm-hmm. Um, when you read it uh, last year at Freedom to Read Week, you had your whole family there. Mm-hmm. So just tell us a bit about what this book means for you. Well, uh, my wife and I um, have uh, two kids, so our kids have grown up with two moms, and I felt it was really important for them to be able to read a diverse range of uh, books about a diverse range of families so they could see themselves in the books that they were reading, and um, I also uh, felt that it's important for them to know that, you know, in nature, in biology, there are whole ranges of species that exhibit mm-hmm. um, uh, homosexual behavior. So it's not a, you know, um, an un- as unusual thing as we like to think or as some people like to think. Um, and so for me, it was really about just inclusiveness and having my kids feel like that uh, they belong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 um, yeah, it's a validation for who you are, which you shouldn't have to val- validate, and yet, and yet we do, don't we, in this society? Yeah, I think um, you know one of the things I was thinking about uh, was how when I was coming out, I was spent I spent four months working in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, um, and I was in a crisis because you know I was alone. I didn't feel like I had anybody to talk to, and I went to the Coles bookstore uh-huh. in Sault Ste. Marie, and 
I uh, found a book on the on the um, shelves called Lesbian Nuns Breaking the Silence. Now I wasn't I'm not Catholic. I had no other connection to that book except this is the only book I could find with that word in it. And uh, I it opened my world. It, it you know even though I had very little in common with um, people you know nuns who had left. Uh, left the church i i felt like it opened a whole world to me and i and i feel like books do that on a regular basis for whatever reason they open whole worlds to us and to our our kids and um so i feel quite strongly about um you know non not censoring those books and not and uh allowing our children to be able to read things and decide for themselves and and us reading them with them and giving the context for the books. And I'm glad you mentioned that because um, when books are challenged in our library uh, or any library, quite often the message from the librarian, not always because these books are challenged successfully sometimes, uh, is that uh, if you feel something, if you, if you feel your child is not quite ready to read something without discussion, then pre-read your books and have a chat with your child about it. Like use that as a chance to talk and explain and uh, make the child feel comfortable and and uh and it's all towards inclusion and so it's kind of i feel like inclusion of books inclusion of humans inclusion of everyone it's it's all part of the same the same philosophy Mm -hmm. um i i just was going to mention a couple of other books that are on a similar theme that have also been challenged and when you read if you go to the freedom to read website which is freedom to read.ca and you take a look at that list it is quite astonishing but um, but as far as kids' books are concerned, Ash's Mums, Donovan's Big Day are, are two of the other ones that come up again and again. And, uh, and it surprises me. I, I would think, okay, well, maybe in the 50s and 60s, but no, there, this is happening all the time and it's happening now. Did you get a chance to take a look at that list at all? I did, yeah. Yeah, the things that stuck out for me, Ash's Mums is definitely one that yeah. uh, stuck out. Uh, for me. And um, I mean, some of the other ones that are super surprising, A Jest of God by Margaret Lawrence. These aren't kids books necessarily, but um, uh, Handmaid's Tale. Um, But, uh, you know, Harry Potter books are all challenged because of... um, Because they involve sorcery. Yes, which is thought to be uh, anti-Christian. So... Yeah, you know that's the issue that the reason that they are brought up for challenging. But I'm glad you said the the part about that. Con, uh, you know that that we should be moving towards inclusivity because I think you know I, my my kids had an experience in grade one when somebody said to them, "Well, two girls can't get married or two boys can't get married," and and my kids were really confused, right? Because mm-hmm. they knew that their moms were married, so they came home and they were like can two girls get married? My friend said that they can't. And, you know, and so I said, well, and the teacher was involved in this discussion. She was a bit afraid to challenge this. Mm -hmm. And so we had a conversation and said, you know, teacher, we don't expect you to, uh, you know, go into this in great detail, but the law is the law. You know, two women actually can get married. It's Mm -hmm. legal in our country. And, you know, this person's parents are telling this person misinformation they need to kind of deal with that and and in the um, classroom in the classroom yeah. you know and um i mean i think one of the books the ash's mom book was challenged in surrey um by a school trustee there that was back a few years ago and this, it went all the way to the supreme court and the supreme court said that um our our school act requires secular uh non-discriminatory non-discriminatory education mm-hmm you know, so 
it kind of set the stage for yeah and so as as you said it's it's also fair to say that um like a lot of the books that are on this list they don't most of them don't get removed Mm-hmm. It's more just that they get challenged on a regular basis and it takes up a lot of time and it means a lot of re-education of the people who are challenging them to say, you know, uh, no, there there is a good reason for this book to be on the shelf. And... Uh, um, and it's it's just it's just it is surprising. It's constantly surprising. And yet, um, the thing about freedom to read, of course, is that it does build that awareness, mm-hmm. which is a good place to start. My kids this year, their teacher is a bit old school and reads to them, and read, usually reads classics to them. And uh, so they just uh, finished reading Huck, Huck Finn. Yeah. And um, you know, so we had to have lots of conversations about about the N word. Exactly. The, you know, yeah. and and I think it's it's having those conversations. Which is the important po- uh, point, and and setting the context. I think I think you're right, and I think it's it's explaining um, what's appropriate in this day and age, and how society has changed too. Mm-hmm. Why it was not thought, yeah, that we're constantly evolving, and that we want to continue to evolve if we're a good, healthy society. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I'd like to break for a song because you brought one in, and it's one that I love, and I just wonder if you can tell me why you chose it. Uh, Ice cream by uh, Sarah McLaughlin. Uh, I chose it because it's it's just a song that brings me joy, and I was thinking how reading brings me so much joy. Mm-hmm. There's an excellent reason. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Hit it, Heather Joy. Your love is better 
You're listening to Kootenai Co-op Radio 93.5 FM in Nelson. The show you're listening to is the Nelson Library's Check This Out. I'm your host, Anne DeGrace, and that lovely song was um, Better Than Ice Cream by Sarah McLaughlin, chosen by my guest, Jane Byers. Now, um, I, Jane, I asked Avi, the children's librarian, if he'd ever had a parent challenge the right for a book to be in the children's collection. And he does say that he welcomes parents' concerns about books because it shows that they're interested and engaged. But each time he's considered a request, he's never removed a book from the collection. Um, so, you know, he, as I said before, he suggests that parents pre-read the books so that they're ready to have that conversation with their kids. Um, but... We also discussed how some books, um, you know, society, we were talking about society's evolution, right? And and sometimes the books are still in print and society has evolved past them. And, and an example might be um, Tintin books. Have you read Tintin books? Have you run across some of the um, sort of politically incorrect bits and pieces of them? Yeah, the the racial stuff. Yeah, yeah the stereotyping of, um, of First Nations. Um, yeah, some, yeah, some pretty weird racial stereotyping in them and they continue to be wildly popular Mm -hmm. and for now he says he's kept them on the shelf Mm. um but i've seen with other books um they just they just kind of fall out of fashion they don't get reprinted in which case because there isn't the interest because society has moved on i just i don't know what to think about that my kids love tintin books too and i am guilty of not having pre-read them with them and discuss those racial stereotypes like what do you think about that kind of stuff yeah i do think that sometimes it's hard to keep up with our children's reading list and there are going to be books that slip through the cracks i always think it's better to have to be able to have those conversations you know and even if you haven't read the book ahead of time to to always say we always say to our kids you know if um, you have any questions or, you know, what, like, tell me about the book you're reading or, or whatever. So sometimes those things kind of come up like, like it did with Huckleberry Finn from, you know, from reading it in right, school. Right, where you get a chance to talk about it. Where you it. get a chance. And that's the best case scenario, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think we can always, con- we're not going to be able to always control the messages that our kids get and their the um, influences that they get from society. But having them be able to take a step back and, and go... Hmm, that doesn't feel right or that doesn't sound right is a is a great skill to have in the world, a little bit of analysis, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And and also um, these enduring classics, you know, to say, no, they should not be in print. I'm thinking of Huckleberry Finn and and some others um, it would it would it would be to me that would be wrong as well. And so um, maybe understanding context, something was written in the 30s or the 40s. Um, having having that discussion seems important. And hopefully for adult readers, because a lot of these are adult books, they can also see them in that context. But of course, we have no idea what a reader takes away from something. Yeah, and I also think that um, I, you know, as a as a white woman, I don't feel very qualified to speak about um, racial uh, prejudices that appear in books. I, I feel like people that, um, uh, you know, are dealing with that issue more, more directly um, should be the ones that we're turning to for, for direction on this. Mm-hmm. Just as I feel I should have a voice in, you know, books about same-sex families, uh, you know, that sort of stuff. It, so I think we need to listen to the people who uh, feel they're being impacted by those stereotypes. As opposed to jumping on the bandwagon and just... I mean, I think it's important to stand up for each other as human beings, too. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, I always think that there's a bit of, sometimes it, there's a bit of a red flag that goes up when, when, uh, a majority who's never lived a particular issue right. speaks on behalf of a minority and mm-hmm. diminishes what may be a really hurtful thing, like racial stereotyping or, or whatever, you know. Right, or, or makes it a yeah. I, I think I understand what you're saying. Almost makes it a mainstream cause without listening. Yeah, or says it's not a problem. Really being impacted, dismisses yeah. it. Yeah, I, I that think, too. Yeah, I think when they're standing up for a, um, an issue that um, you know their their allies is it, that's a great thing. But I think if they're diminishing an issue that is is not their cause, then we need to listen to the people who are being more directly affected by mm-hmm. the by those things. So. Now, the the writers of Entangle Makes Three um, are a same sex couple, writer and illustrator duo. Um, so I guess I, this, this is just I'm just I'm just playing devil's advocate there. Um, were they the right people to write this book? Is it better that, that it was a same-sex couple that wrote this book, or could anyone have written this book? And this is unscripted. I just threw this in there. I don't know, because it just made me curious. Well, they've lived it. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think the question is, um, is the book well-written? And mm-hmm. I think the book is well-written and, and quite lovely, so I don't have a problem with it. But really, it, you know, I think we need to... Look at the quality of the of the writing to of the piece answer, itself. Answer yeah. that: Is it authentic? Does it? You know, um, I mean, I I've certainly read some books um, that I didn't feel were well written um, mm-hmm. that hit you over the head with a message, mm-hmm. and um, I would rather see well written pieces that uh, that you know maybe have a message embedded in into them, or just you know, I had this conversation recently with. My friend, who's a children's author, uh, Susan Nielsen, mm-hmm. and um, so her book that's about to come out uh, happens to have um, gay characters in it, but that's not the crux of it. It's just a by the by; these two characters happen to be gay. That's not. Right. It's not like a teaching moment for that. And I love that. I love that it's just part of, um, you know, the the landscape. Right. It's part of our society. So if you're writing about the world around you, you're going to include all different types of people. It's not necessarily your lived experience. Yeah, and that's you know that's where um, you know we're setting people up for uh, being able to be in the world with all kinds of different people. You know, however much some parents try and control the message to their kids, their kids are going to be out in a world that is diverse in many many ways, mm-hmm. and so you're giving them the opportunity to to learn about what the world is like you know right and hence the the beauty of a library because it's a microcosm of of thought and literature and creativity for for the macrocosm absolutely she says pushing libraries again because that's what we do (laughs) thank you we love it too um have have you ever wondered about the inclusion of a book in the library have you ever run across anything that you kind of wondered about uh i actually can't say that i have i'm sorry that um I I haven't. Uh, it wasn't a test. No, no. But I guess I guess what I'm thinking is okay. So what kind of scenario might lead somebody to lead you or me to question a book? And it's kind of where do we draw the line? Like like so so where so I mean certainly there's literature that ventures into hate. Yeah. And from the library's point of view, um, if it's not legal in Canada, it's not in our library. So mm-hmm. we do have hate laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can say that we have made a, an effort to move adult graphic novels well away from kids because kids mm-hmm. are drawn to cartoons and a lot of that's very adult material. Um, 
but you know, it's just a it's a fair it's a fair question. You know, like what where where, where would we, where would we draw the line? Right. I think you've got a good line there with the um, you know what's considered hate material in Canada is it doesn't appear in the library, and that's great. But it can be a fine line. You know, I mean, I think. Um, the Young in One Another's Arms Jane Rule book mm-hmm. was considered, uh, um, I don't know, it wasn't hate literature, but it was considered uh, inappropriate um, because they positively uh, um, depicted gay characters mm-hmm. at a time when that wasn't done. It wasn't happening, no. You she know, was a, yeah. And Customs. She was a courageous writer. And, and Customs yeah. tried to keep the book out of Canada on yeah. that basis. So um, some people would have considered that... That's a good point. And we're, we don't have enough time to talk about Little Sisters and, and all of the books Censorship. that were stopped at the border yeah. because they were going to the Little Sisters bookshop, uh, you know, which had um, uh, LGBTQ titles. Yeah, it, it was an astonishing and it's actually probably for a whole different conversation, but I hadn't thought about that. But yes, that could be construed as, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I legal, I, I want to be careful here. I, I have you know, I I do not advocate um, literature that promotes hatred and stereotyping of a group, of course, at, at all. Yeah. But I haven't come across that in the book. Neither have I searched for it. Or sorry, I haven't come across that in the library. No, but no, I haven't no, searched for it. it either. So, okay, I have a super quick question for you in a word or two. Um, what are your kids reading now? Just to completely change the topic, back to kids books and. Uh, they just stuff. finished the uh, reading challenge with Avi at the at the oh, library, yeah. and they love that. So my son's favorite book was uh, "Boy with Bat." Boy with okay, and um, uh, I'm blanking on my my daughters, but they have have been spot. having quite a lot of discussions about the six books they read as part of that, and they love debating it at school with Avi. And uh-huh. um, yeah, so. Um, you know, my son really loves graphic novels, and yesterday he was at the library and he picked up Amulet, right. the latest in that. So, so he was a happy camper, very happy camper. He didn't see them for the rest of the night, and there was no pressure to watch TV. So that's always <laughs> Isn't a good that thing. Lovely. <laughs> well, um, Jane, thank you. This has been fascinating. Um, we do have to say goodbye, and I feel like we were just getting started. But um, I would like to invite listeners to weigh in on this topic. Uh, the question would be, what does freedom to read mean to you? And you, you know, readers or listeners can elaborate on, on that any way that you like. You can write us at library at nelson.ca and tell us your thoughts. Um, thank you, Jane, for joining me today. And I'd also like to thank tech and colleague Heather Joy Dahlgren, master at the controls. You've been listening to Kootenai Co-op Radio 93.5 FM in Nelson. Check this out. Runs every two weeks on Mondays at 8.30 a.m. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Jane. My pleasure. See you next time.